welcome to Modern Anarchy, the podcast featuring real conversations with conscious objectors to the status quo. I'm your host, Nicole. On today's episode, we have artist and graphic designer Jordan Parvex join us for a conversation about coming out to conservative family members and claiming your queer identity. Together, we talk about how our parental relationships shape our desire for attachment, the othering of queer identities, and the expectation to be the model minority. Y'all, this is a really special episode for me, just getting to connect with someone from my early childhood before I even knew that I was gay and to have this moment where we take a step back to reflect on the conservative upbringings that really shaped our ability to be our authentic self. I mean, that is no easy journey. And so, Jordan, I really just want to say how courageous and resilient you are to have come from that space and be loud and proud in your own authentic expression of yourself today that is such a beautiful beautiful journey and i hope that you can hear that back when you listen to this episode and i know that you're gonna inspire so many other queer folks who might be going through the same exact thing and struggling to find acceptance for who they are and you are just such a bright light that there is hope at the end of that journey and so y'all Tune in. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Awesome. And then let me hide myself. Same. I know. Otherwise, I just stare at myself all the time. I can't even have a conversation. Oh my god, no! Same. My like, my vision will be like looking right, right where I am, and I'll look like weirdly off screen the entire time. It's the worst. And then you try to look at the other person. They're like, "Yeah," but now they're confused at what I'm looking at, and then I overthink everything, and I'm just like, "Yeah, one hundred percent." It's I. I'm on these like meetings all day, virtual meetings, and so I feel I feel like I'm like always staring at myself and it's so awkward it's like okay like put the vanity away it's true i do wonder like psychologically how that affects us we've never had so much of a mirror to such random situations oh yeah and it's also like it it's looking at a mirror so your face is flipped and so like your idea of what you look like gets even more warped it's so odd yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, it's super weird when you talk and you watch, start to watch yourself speak. It's too much. I don't know if we need that level of a mirror really in our lives. I'll pass on that if possible. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> How's your day? It was good. It was good. Yeah. I I gave notice to my job and I'm, I start a new job later this month. So I'm just kind of in the middle of this like weird, hectic clusterfuck yeah. of sorts. Yeah, but new opportunity sounds exciting. It is uh, going to be much better than my current one, so I'm very excited. Cool. What's the switch? Um, it's the same role, graphic designer um, yeah. here in New York City, but instead of working in-house at a brand, I'll be working at an agency. So just a little bit more distance, I think, from the work and the clients, which will be nice. I'm yeah. uh, People are just – people are wild. Tell me about it. <laughs> <laughs> 
haven't talked to you in forever. This is crazy. I know, I know. How have you been? I mean, God, it's how old were we? Yeah, I know, I know, we were I like know. twelve or thirteen, probably last yeah, time we like hung out. Yeah, yes, babies. That's a completely I don't even different know person. If I had a, yeah, I don't even know if I had a concept of self at that age. I don't think I really did. <laughs> no, I think it's impossible to right because you're you're like too fresh. You haven't experienced enough to really see how you're going to morph. Yeah, but the wild thing is when you're in it, you think you have it. Oh yeah. So I'm so I'm just like now I'm like, do I think I have it now and I'm going to be wrong again? It's so <laughs> unstable, and you're like, fuck. When I'm does a, it stop? Oh yeah, I'm a big fan of like accepting that. Most likely in ten years, I'll look back at myself now and be like, he knew absolutely nothing, and that's going to be my perpetual cycle. Yeah, exactly, exactly. That's probably what it is. I don't think it makes the process any easier though. Oh, 100%. Yeah. No. It's the – it's like you truly don't know anything because everything's perception. And so then it Mm – you try and get into it too much with your own self. You're like, so am I only what other people perceive of me or am I what I perceive of me? And then that's a hole. I know. I know. I've really been thinking about that a lot. The more I – I like engage in a lot of different hobbies and so it's Ooh. fascinating to find, yeah, like different mirrors where like I have a rock climbing group or like people who are more into vintage fashion and then my school group of psychologists and then just like other friends. And it's interesting how like when you're hanging out with these different people, you really get all these different mirrors to yourself. Mm-hmm. And then you're like, yeah, who am I? I think I'm all of these pieces plus their perception of me and none of it all at the same time. 100%. I mean, it's kind of yeah. it's brilliant, though, because it means that humans are so adaptable. And we're mm. able to really coexist in so many different situations, which is pretty phenomenal. Um, nothing's too too solid or locked in, I'd say. Definitely. And I think that's the importance of relationships, right? Mm-hmm. That is oh, yeah. like when people are always like, it's so important to be conscious of who's like in your circle. But I think we forget it's because like those people are mirrors to ourselves. Oh, yeah. I mean, the, the relationships yeah. you allow yourself to have are 100% going to end up being the ways that you see yourself so if you're allowing yourself you know all the love and welcoming and joy then you see yourself as someone who's willing and who also gives those back and obviously vice versa to the other situations isn't that wild yeah it's i mean i've done extensive therapy throughout my life and the the craziest thing is just realizing how formative those years when you are young are and the mm-hmm. way that you like perceive your own value based on how your parents treat you or how your like uh school friends or your siblings whomever and then kind of the ways that that bleeds into every relationship kind of for the rest of your life in different ways is mm. crazy. Yeah, if you're willing to tell me more, I'm so curious <laughs> what you've learned after <laughs> years of therapy. <laughs> oh my gosh. I mean, plenty of, I need to go back in 2022 as well. Every every year it seems like there's a new thing that you're, you know, a new, a new moment where you realize, oh, I should probably unpack that a little bit more and really work through that and make yeah. sure I'm not, it's a, it's like going to the gym in a way, although I'm not yeah. the best example of that either, but. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. No, you're good. But yeah. Okay. So. And I think the reason why I reached out to you was because of seeing your gay villain trajectory and maybe that would be a good place to start of telling me a little bit about what that is in your magazine and how you started doing these things yeah totally okay i think yeah 
I mean, last time we hung out, obviously, was middle school or like beginning of high school. So as we've covered, you know, completely different people. And I think gay villain really kind of spawns and, you know, actually to even take it back a little bit further, Warm Bros, which is the LGBTQ plus zine that I run, that was really spawned, honestly, out of kind of the first the Donald Trump election, which Mm. is such a cliched thing to say at this point. And obviously it's turned into something else now, but I really, I'd, you know, classic me, I am, I identify as gay and I had just Mm -hmm. gone through a, what would be like probably for me a pretty substantial breakup. Looking back now, Mm -hmm. it was a pretty small, you know, stone. But for me at that point, I think my emotional maturity and also my emotional like sensitivity was really high. I was really touchy. And so, you know, the littlest things would kind of mm-hmm. rock me a lot more than they do now, which is not to say much. I'm a Scorpio. I'm the most sensitive, like human being. My boyfriend frequently reminds yes. me of it. So yes, Trump had just been elected and I had just gone through this breakup and I was trying to find a way to constructively use my time. Um, I was working mm-hmm. in LA at the time. I had come out probably three years or two years prior I came out at the very end of my first, uh, my undergrad studies at UCSB. And I was still going through quite a lot. I come out to my mom a lot later than the rest of my family. Um, My mom is a Jehovah's Witness. And so it's, yeah, it's a whole. We got stuff to talk about. And I am ready. So it's, it was a whole thing. So I was really in just kind of a like weird trifecta bad point of, I'm dealing with the issues with my mom and coming out as well as this breakup with this guy. Um, Mm -hmm. And then on top of that, you know, obviously seeing the political system and kind of realizing probably like many people at that point, how much action is needed and how much if we want to be really upset about the way things are going, it generally means that we also need to find ways to use that productively. So you know, whether that's talking to people or being an ally or an advocate or volunteering or all of the above, you know, it's just things have to happen. So I created uh, Warm Bros as kind of an outlet. It honestly wasn't even my own idea. My coworker, Alexis, she had seen me, you know, being a baby about my, my breakup. And she was like, you need to just channel this energy into something like useful for yourself. You're always talking about how you want to take on like an art project. Why don't you just do something with it? And I, at this time, was a huge fan. I don't know if you've heard of it. Hello, Mister. Mm-mm. It's um a little piece of, it's a little gay artifact. So probably, I think if there were 10 issues, it was founded by Ryan Fitzgibbon, who's a big, I guess, like queer thinker of sorts. And I was a huge fan of the magazine. And so I, I kind of wanted to make my own. I was like, oh, like maybe I can do something like that. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But I noticed that a lot of the people in just like, queer magazines in general or queer media were all like you, you get famous and that's how you are pushed out like I'm, I'm you, you don't really hear many stories of just everyday queer people mm-hmm. yeah, and yeah. so I just I thought it was like a good time to see if I could do something around that and allow you know people who are and perhaps are not you know quote unquote successful or whatever at their craft or whatever art or writing you know scenario they're in and allow them to submit to this zine and then kind of craft it around their stories and their thoughts and their point of views i mean i've done issues for that probably on and off for the last five years now five or six years 
and you know I kind of fall in and out of love with that just like I do basically anything it's always you know you go through phases where it's like this makes a lot of sense for me to work on and then obviously I think as time has gone on you know I'm a white gay man with quite a lot of privilege so I yeah I've kind of approached it in recent years as less of something for me to kind of push on about and more of you know if people want me to kind of be the conduit in order to allow like stories because I've a you know small little following that yeah. would purchase it then like I could do that but um obviously I think there's much more important voices to be heard and so yeah that's kind of yeah so let me there I just did so much talking oh my god no that was great <laughs> hi <laughs> <laughs> Hi. I take notes. So like, don't worry. I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm tracking. Wow. Um, okay. First, thank you for sharing. Yeah. Um, and I think my initial thoughts are that I resonate with you in so many ways. I think the podcast, I frequently go through that same cycle of loving, hating, loving, hating it and how mm-hmm. that should be totally normalized in general. That at times it feels great. And at times you're like, why the fuck am I doing this? Oh, yeah. Does anyone care? And then you come back to it and, you know, and Talking to people is what I enjoy out of it. So this is great. Uh, yeah, there's so many places I could pull you. I think I want to pull you back a little bit further. I mean, the first things that you started talking about, um, going through that breakup, coming mm-hmm. out to your mom, all those pieces. I mean, that's a lot of instability, especially with Trump at the same time, mm-hmm. to hold all at one time. Oh, yeah, 100%. At the time, I don't think I quite realized how stressed and kind of in pain I was and I made this joke to some friends and family before where you can kind of tell my like rougher points of life based on my hair color because (laughs) I basically from the day I came out up until probably about two years ago I was dyeing my hair you know white or you know Mm -hmm. just doing all the things that I could possibly do to it in order to I think like push and explore who I was and really try and like figure out my space, both as just a human and as a queer person and as a son and a brother and, you know, all the things that we're always all, you know, trying to figure Mm -hmm. out. And at that point I look back now and it is really clear how I think I was at a pretty big turning point. And I think the instability thing you said is hits the nail on the head. It was, um, you know, the person that I had been dating was, he's super lovely. I still like speak to him. He's an angel. But at the time, it was becoming more and more clear that, you know, I would choose partners who would not fit me, whether um, ideologically or in terms of just mm-hmm. what we both want or what I need as, you know, a loving partner and what I can give. And then, you know, to add to it, I think that plays into those choices around who I chose as a partner also play into obviously the ways that I allowed my mom to interact with me and kind of shape parts of me that, Mm. you know, were pretty painful as a, as a young person. And then as a kid and, you know, all throughout. So I was living in Los Angeles at the time. And that was definitely a a period of my life is I lived there for about two years where there was quite a lot of, it's like changeover. I was really, I was trying a lot. I was experimenting a lot. I was going out a lot. I was working quite hard kind of avoiding my family Mm -hmm. it was like all the things you know all together and yeah so it was a I had not solved anything at that point but it was basically the kickstarter for me to kind of realize that like your problems follow you wherever you go as opposed to like running away from them when I graduated from UCSB I graduated early and I had saved up enough money in order to go backpack 
And so I backpacked, I came out to my family and then I went and backpacked for like nine months. Um, yeah, because I was like, I just need to sort through who I like want to be as a person, um, without hearing the voices and the kind of assumptions that I think a lot of families I'm sure make. And then when I got back, I was like, I'm so enlightened and life is so good. And like, you know, all the same bullshit that we always tell ourselves. And living in LA was kind of the moment that it all started catching up with me. And I kind of realized, oh, those things didn't go away just because I like saw some pretty things. Like clearly Mm -hmm. that is not what's going to solve these problems. Yeah. Damn. (laughs) And this is where therapy comes in, I'm sure. (laughs) Oh, absolutely. (laughs) I know. (laughs) That is exact. Isn't that always where it comes in? You're like, I have it all figured out. And like five minutes later, Yep. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god yeah i mean that's why i'm I'm still in therapy all the time like all oh, yeah. the time i've never stopped this is this is gonna be my life oh see that's i go through these phases where i basically mm. i'll go for like I, I don't know how long honestly usually it's like yeah. 10 months to like two years and then i'll stop for a little while and kind of be like okay i think i'm in a good spot i think i could start kind of just like seeing how i apply these things on my own and then there usually hits a point where it's like Oh, I need to, I need to pop back in there. Actually, I need to do a little tune up. I need to like, see what else is going on you yeah. know, down below. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is it the same therapist every time too? No, I am oh, that's terrible. Hard. I know it's, I wish maybe that should be a goal that I have at some point. I'm actually terrible across the entire medical field in terms of like my really <laughs> consistency. Yeah. I, yeah. I've seen probably four or five different therapists for like pretty solid periods of time, but just I've moved a lot. New York is the mm-hmm. longest I've lived mm-hmm. somewhere. And so like I jumped therapists usually when I moved. I would say probably my best therapist was in Los Angeles though, for sure. I did I was doing cognitive behavioral therapy and it was um Okay, cool. It was quite a intensive experience for me. Yeah, definitely. So that was the therapy that you were doing during this time. Yes, of unlocking yeah. all these different things, coming back from your trip, processing all of that. Yeah. Okay. So you mentioned that your choice of partners was really reflective of your relationship with your mom. Could you say more about that? Oh, totally. I'm actually, my boyfriend and I have been talking a lot about this lately. Mm. I think, you know, parents are hard, family's hard, guardians are hard, kind of the whole shebang. And my mom is such a unique character, but also it's, you know, the tale is all this time, you know, parent is a human being and has their own flaws. And, you know, as a kid, you don't realize that. And then as you get older, that human being becomes more complicated. And the ways that they've, you know, the decisions they've made obviously play into who you become in many ways. And so most of my life up until my most recent relationship that I'm in currently, you know, none of my relationships lasted very long. They were all really Mm -hmm. quick. I tended to date people who I knew would kind of do exactly what I thought they would do. Because it was a great way for me to, I think, avoid any sort of connection or intimacy. You know, I did like the classic thing for me, which is I, you know, would go long periods of not dating at all. And instead just, you know, sleeping around and kind of doing whatever I want and fulfilling myself that way, which I thought was really, I think overall was very healthy and helpful for me. But Mm -hmm. it got to a point where I clearly wanted something else. And then you get to that like weird fork, fork in the road where you're so used to doing something and you've grown to want something else. And it's like, how do you mend those yeah. parts of yourself? Yeah. And so in terms of my partners, you know, my my parents divorced when I was really young. And then my dad went through another divorce when I was a teenager. And my mom, weirdly enough, had a pretty consistent relationship with my stepdad. But 
Mm -hmm. the like instability I think across all those places you know my dad's homes and then my mom's house really led to me kind of expecting to be disappointed by people so instead of allowing them to surprise me I would kind of like back them into a corner where they had to do what I had already assumed they would yeah exactly so it was a it was a rough patch of time and it you know I think truthfully Mm -hmm. monogamy kind of played a huge role into this where I had you know I've, I've done I've tried many different types of relationships and I've always been someone to kind of like want to try kind of anything honestly and just see what actually naturally fits for me at that time and with that person or those people etc and um, I think something that I realized over time was that I tend to just naturally sway more towards monogamy and it's like I had instead of choosing people who also wanted that I would choose people who didn't want monogamy and then somehow I yeah. would end up like upset about it, for, which obviously doesn't make sense because at the end of the day, it's really just about consent and what you both want and what you're both willing to give and not give. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think as a younger person, I would kind of hide behind that as a way to um, convince myself that I was like unlovable or unwanted and that kind of thing. Yeah. And it lasted a long time. I mean, it wasn't until probably for like three and a half years ago that I like truly, and I actually wasn't in therapy at that time. I had finished that round of therapy of cognitive behavioral therapy. I'd moved to New York and I was like, you know, I'm, I don't want to date anymore at all. I'm just going to chill and kind of do whatever I want. And I did all the things I wanted to do. And I met all these different people and I kind of started piecing together where I wanted to be as a human being and kind of where my priorities fell. And it just kind of landed me in the space of, um, I guess where I'm at now, but it was, it was quite a lot of work. And it was, I think the biggest healing thing I ever learned was if I want to have a healthy relationship with myself and with, you know, a partner, I have to stop being so angry at my mom about the things that happened when I was younger Mm. and not for her, not for anyone else, just simply my like anger and like disappointment from that relationship with kept bleeding into all my other relationships. You know what I mean? Of course. Right. What do you feel like you were angry about in terms of your relationship with her? I mean, I think a lot. My mom, I believe has, I mean, she has some pretty intense trauma from her childhood. Mm -hmm. Um, She was abused and, and things where she just endured a lot. And it's really, honestly, I, I think she's phenomenal as a human being because she was, you know, there was always food on the table and she, she has so many ways where she is so loving, but she would make some pretty, she knew I was gay at a pretty young age or at least not straight based on kind of the comments she would make to my siblings and to my dad. And she would make some pretty damaging comments about, you know, HIV and AIDS to me when I was really young and, you know, kind of pointing out things that I would do that, you know, would be misconstrued in certain ways if I didn't, you know, fix them and that kind of thing. Mm. So just, you know, damaging statements, damaging ways of kind of interacting with me as a young boy who, you know, very much so loved his mom and wanted to be accepted by her. And I think it was such a confusing thing to know that someone probably can't love you in the way that you need them to love you while simultaneously wanting nothing more than them to love you. And so it's like that weird push and pull dynamic of begging someone to care for you in the way that you need while also feeling like you're stupid for wanting them in the first place anymore. Mm. And so that was, that was quite a lot. And, you know, she converted to being a Jehovah's witness and I was probably like 
14. Okay. She was always anti-gay, anti-queer, anti-trans. And then when I was around that age, she started going to the Kingdom Hall, which is, you know, where the Jehovah's Witnesses practice. And I had to go every once in a while. And it was just, it was like very clear that, you know, that's not a space for me or for kind of where I wanted to go. And so now I'm rambling. <laughs> no, 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 no. This is, this is all great. I mean, when you were saying, talking about your mom of wanting that relationship with her, but knowing that maybe because of the complex things that she's experienced in her life, that she couldn't provide you what you needed. Yeah. I mean, and you talking about coming into relationships with people that didn't want monogamy, not being able to love you in the way that you needed. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. And so it, it's so hard because in that of her experience of trauma, you've also experienced trauma mm -hmm. from your mom and mm -hmm. that can create cycles and that's how we perpetuate these. And so stopping those, I think, is one of the biggest things that we can embark upon. And it shows that you've done so much emotional work that I just want to like honor for a moment of all of this work that you're doing to unpack this. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you so much. It sounds so much nicer and I think cleaner when you say it like that. So I appreciate it. It's, uh, I mean, we both obviously came from religious backgrounds and I'm sure for you, it's been, it's been a journey yeah. as well. I'm sure. Right. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I didn't know that I was gay. Did you know that you were gay? I definitely knew I liked men for sure, Okay, <laughs> but it wasn't like, um, <laughs> It wasn't so apparent to me exactly what I even was until probably high school. And that's when it okay. became like mid high school is when it became really clear, like what exactly it meant. Yeah. When did you, so when did you kind of come into that being or, or understand that? I think because of my own trauma, I have never, I think I, my parents are, I don't even know where to start, but equally went through a lot of traumas in their own life. Yeah. Uh, and I'm also like a first generation student. So like, there's just like a lot of like mm. chaos back in my family history. And so I don't think they knew how to help me as much. And so I've always looked on my partners as regulation. Like I couldn't co uh, self-regulate on my own. So I've always looked out to partners for that. Mm. And I think given within my Christian framework, I was only allowed to look at men as that potential. And because of my codependency, I was in relationships constantly. Oh, yeah. And so, I mean, there was times like of exploring in college a little bit, but nothing more. And I would have been like, oh, that's just like for fun. <laughs> right. I know. And <laughs> then I, I got into a more consistent relationship. And then once that kind of like got stable enough, I was like realizing that I had a lot of desires. And so we talked about potentially opening up the relationship. Never happened. We break up. And then eventually I start living for like the first time in my wow. life only since like yeah i know thank you um since like a, a couple a year and a half ago truly wow yeah oh my i gosh. have never existed as an, my own independent self um until very recently and it must and feel so, amazing oh yeah it feels really good it feels really good the first time i had sex with a woman i was like holy fuck i've been missing this my whole life <laughs> i know and now i haven't gone back so <laughs> Yeah, so <laughs> my journey is a little bit different, though, in that sense. Like, I, I am so jealous of the stories of, like, having the sense of self earlier, you know? I mean, Ugh. you know, I think there's something beautiful, though, about you allowing yourself to kind of ebb and flow as you have had self-discovery in it. I feel yeah. like the conversation I 
I always struggle with around queerness in general is this idea that it's some static thing. And I think Mm. there tends to be kind of a bit of a failure with the like, I was born this way kind of commentary, because it really doesn't allow, I think, as much fluidity that I believe humans truly have. I think the idea that you are some static being and when you're born, that is exactly how you are until you're dead. I mean, clearly, obviously, isn't true. And so you're a great example, though, of someone who has allowed that kind of like fluidity throughout your life to then, Mm -hmm. you know, now it's like, oh, you know what, like, at that point, I didn't know that I didn't want that. Or I just Mm -hmm. I wanted it at that point, because I didn't know what else was out there. And now I understand a bit more about myself. And now I know I want this. And it's, yeah, I think that's beautiful, personally. And I, part of me is always a little jealous of the like ability to surprise in that way. Like, I feel like you, that sounds like such a fantastic journey to have these like surprises of realizations and moments where you're like, I just learned something completely new about myself. How liberating is that to know that you're, you know, as you're getting older, you're still learning these like kind of larger revelations about yourself. That's fantastic. Yes. I love that positive reframe because that's not always where I go. I think the scary part of it is you ask yourself then, was I just subjecting myself to something that wasn't truly authentically me at the time? Were any of those relationships with men authentic? Or Mm -hmm. was I just so constricted by my faith lens at the time that I didn't even recognize my unhappiness? And I think that's a a scarier question than, yeah, than holding the potential. But I, but I think, at the heart of it is what you said too, is that at the time, given my worldview, whatever it was, it was what I wanted. And there is Mm -hmm. fluidity in that. And it's right. And I think your answer is probably the way to look at it is that truly it's not just like, I get afraid to say that it's not an innate part of us. You know what I mean? But that's the point. I mean, because it's a slippery slope. Exactly. Because if you don't say it, then people are going to really quickly reframe it as, well, then you're making a choice. And then it's like, okay, there has to be ground somewhere within both of these things where it's not (laughs) something just fell in the background where it's not like, yeah, exactly. It's tricky. And it's why I don't, I don't truly know where I stand. I do obviously believe that there is a nature part of it for sure, but there's also, there has to be some sort of nurture in some ways. And I'm not a scientist, so I can't really say much else, but I think there is a fluidity in people and people are you know, I think that's a fair question where it's, you know, maybe if you had known all the options that were out there, would you have chosen the ones that you had chosen? Yeah. It's hard to know, but it's also hard to like reframe your own past based on like what you know now because yeah. that person didn't know what you know. So it's, exactly. it's tricky. Exactly. And growing up, I mean, young boys typically look very feminine. So I think oh, yeah. a lot of that would also make a lot of sense. <laughs> in those days with the, like the swoopy hair yes, we were all in that yes. Zac Efron phrase of like yes. of, you know hairless swoopy kind of like exactly. baby looking yeah mm-hmm. yeah so I think that could also make a lot of sense <laughs> but um yeah that's how I conceptualize it now um but I think my mom also played an important role in this for me too because she would make such shitty comments about gay people all the time being Mm -hmm. so negative gross disgusting i'm sure you have the same slew and it's so hard especially at that young age when someone that is so important to us is saying those things and how deeply that shapes how you can even see the world and so yeah were you struggling with like feeling what were you feeling knowing that your mom was saying that and also equally knowing your identity to some degree at that point oh yeah i mean it was 
I mean, that was a very painful experience. I, I had, you know, when I was in high school, I had kind of resigned myself to the idea that I didn't want to ever, at that point, I didn't really understand relationships in general, obviously, but Mm -hmm. you know, per our Christian upbringing, I kind of knew that like marriage was the end all be all according to these people. And I had already started telling, you know, my dad and parts of my family, you know, I'm never going to get married. I don't want to be married ever. And it wasn't so much because I didn't want to be married or I didn't want whatever that even means to people. But it was more I knew that based on what I actually wanted, I didn't want to marry a woman and drag her into like this weird headspace. But it was even worse because I actually ended up at the same time while doing that dating a woman. I mean, high schooler. We were both high schoolers who was a sweetheart, you know, mm. only showed me like the sweetest things. And I broke up with her when she told me she loved me because it was kind of the first time that I realized that, oh, I can't be like messing around with this kind of shit, you know? Right. It's, and that's such a complicated thing because I was also, you know, a 17 year old boy who had obviously a lot of like self-hatred around the fact that I was gay. And so it was like this weird you know, back and forth in my own head and I'd broken up with her. And I, I remember that basically kickstarted a pretty like confusing time for me. And the first time I actually went to therapy outside of being like a minor, I, you know, broke up with her, graduated, went to college and um, started going to therapy because I was really depressed. And I was just, I did not feel good about myself. And I, I didn't want to admit to myself that it was because I, I liked men and I've done some things that now, wow. if I looked back, I would be a little worried. Not that there's any shame behind the things that I did, but, you know, there were mm. there were some, like, hookups that were definitely, like, the power dynamic was not okay, and it definitely made me feel really awkward being, like, the young person kind of being a t- taken advantage of by, like, an older gay man. And oh. I was, like, 18 and 19, so it wasn't, you know, in the sense that it was illegal, quote-unquote, but it was much more just feeling the pressure of being, you know, a young man who's in the closet, who's like, yeah. obviously has wants and needs. And so I would, you know, go onto an app or at this point, I think it was websites, because I don't think there were mm-hmm. really dating apps and, yeah. you know, feeding into that. And unfortunately, the people on there are pretty predatory. And so wow. it just, it all kind of like fed into this weird swirl of a human being I was from like 18 till 23, 22. So it was a lot of therapy. I studied abroad. And that was kind of where I really realized that I I like got back and was the most depressed I've ever been in my life. And I was definitely, I was in like a, it had gone to the point where I was suicidal. And that's when I really, um, I really like just, I made a choice. I have younger siblings, older siblings, you know, I have a big family and I kind of, I was like, listen, I'm either going to like finish it now and just like be done. Or I'm going to like choose to figure this out and work through it because I want like to be there for my siblings and my younger siblings, especially. And all of that, I think, and you know, I chose that the latter one, thank God. And you know, it, it worked out. I'm so happy, but it was definitely Mm -hmm. all those things were because of the messaging that I had been given from not just, you know, my mom or my dad, but also from the kids in school and from the teachers. I mean, I don't know if you remember, but where we went to school, there was, they were doing the like, no were yes on prop eight when I was probably in eighth or seventh grade. And it was all about giving gay people um, the ability to get married in California. I do not remember this. Oh my gosh. So it was wild because I was in, I think like a history class and I'm not going to say the name of the teacher, but one of the teachers played a video 
Um, and he was like, we're going to talk about, you know, Prop 8, this thing that's going around right now. And he played this video and I will never forget it. It was a like cartoon, you know, video about how this like straight couple lives next to this gay couple and they're friends with the gay couple and they think they're fine, but they don't believe the gay couple should be allowed to get married because that's about the sanctity of like marriage and like blah, 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 you know. And I remember watching it and just like kind of feeling my entire body drop out. <sighs> and it was like, you know, at this point I had like masturbated. I knew that I was gay in yeah. my desires, but I hadn't obviously come to terms with being gay, like yeah, yeah, yeah. wanting to love people. So it, uh, it was a very weird feeling. Yeah. So it was a rough time. I just really resonated with the concept of you saying being gay and your desires, but not knowing and love because when I was that age, I was masturbating to women anyways. And it's like, yeah. what the fuck did I think was happening? But you're like separating it though, right? Cause you're, <laughs> exactly. it doesn't, it doesn't mean the same thing. Like I would, I would do it like about like one of my like good guy friends. And somehow I would convince myself that that didn't mean anything because it was like no. yeah. sinful or whatever. It was crazy. I know. I know. I'm surprised we're okay. Like, are we okay? Maybe we're not, actually. I mean, I will say, it is, my my boyfriend came out when he was, like, probably 12 or 13, I believe, and his parents have always been really, really positive about it. And, Amazing. like, the school, he was out in high school, he had a boyfriend, like, all these things. And definitely seeing the the difference between the two of us and some of our, like, communication and our, like, anxiety, I guess. Like, my mm -hmm. anxiety in a relationship is so high partially because I think I always separated being gay from like being in love. I always like, I thought of it at first always as like a sexual thing, not as a romantic or mm -hmm. any sort of like intimate emotional bond. Yeah. And then obviously over time I've grown to like bring those together and be like, you know, it could be sexual, it could be romantic, it could be intimate, it could be whatever I want it to be truthfully. Right. But he never had to like have that hard separation. Uh, so for him, it's not yeah. as weird to like, just be a whole human being, obviously. Whereas mm -hmm. I think for me, it's a lot harder to exist as one human being who has a lot of different wants and desires. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it'd be nice to be cohesive and have had a good childhood. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I'm so – I know, I know. We can dream in another life that we'll have that or that we'll give that to other people that we encounter is this wisdom, I mean, right? Of It has to. It has to improve. Yeah, definitely. And I mean – so then in that moment of recognizing – well, I guess it wasn't in that class, right? But like you were talking about the difference between having romantic love or whatever you want to call it, uh, feelings for men versus the sexual desire. When did those start to converge for you and realize the connection between the two? I mean, I think it was – I mean, I, I think that the like seeds started get, being planted in probably high school because I I was really good friends with this guy and I – definitely had you know strong romantic feelings for Can him talk about that oh yeah oh my god is it see this is a very you know unrequited love in high school right yeah but you but yes exactly and you <laughs> but just like not quite realizing it yes because you think yeah. it's friendship and you're just like yep. oh shit and then you look back at all of your friendships like what is a friend i don't even know anymore i mean and this is where that i mean that's a whole nother tangent i could go off on where it's it's all around I did not realize, honestly, until I was probably 25, that you can be friends with another gay person or another queer person and not have to make it also sexual, which I know maybe that sounds weird. I don't know how to phrase it properly, but mm. it's like, 
I think because there's such a hypersexualization, especially for like I I can't speak for everybody, but for gay men, I think there there is just such a hypersexualization. I think men in general tend to like hypersexualize everything, and then it's it becomes this kind of self feeding circle. But I had never really realized that you didn't have to like sleep with someone to become their friend, or like Oof, yeah. or like date somebody and then become friends. You know, you could just meet people platonically and be friends platonically, and also you can do whatever you want, obviously, but. I think that was quite a realization because I always linked, I always linked being gay with sex, which I think is an issue. Obviously, I think a lot of people come across where being gay just in in culture and American culture is so linked with the idea of like immediately being sexualized that you completely skip over the parts that are just like sweet and intimate without being physical. For sure. Every media piece does that too like anytime there's a queer couple it's like let's put all the sex scenes and none of the just normal relationship shit that happens in a day to day so i i mean i think yes a lot of culture and society is perpetuating that although i think what you're bringing up is a good point that it might be very different for gay men than it is for women fair i mean totally and i do think not it's it's so funny because lgbtq plus is such a the queer community is such a huge community and there's so many different things within within it different people different genders different identities and so i feel like there's never like a perfect blanket statement for it because i think gay men who you know are in many ways overly you know insanely privileged oversaturated in terms of the media um like tend to get a lot of attention i think the issues that they come across as a community are different than the issues that other parts of the community Mm, also come across so there's there's like this big venn diagram and i think at least for me, because I can't speak for everyone, as a gay man, I think there is um, this weird mix of masculinity and like toxic masculinity mm. that then mixes with like this innate want for love and like to not be shamed. And it creates this odd like structure within the mm-hmm. community. And that's where I think we get a lot of probably our like the unhealthy habits. You know, I would say that physical or like the reliance on the physical portions of relationships um, within the the gay community tends to I think play into just the fact that for such a long time those were the only relationships we were allowed to have like if Mm. you look back at history like it was very difficult to have a full-bodied relationship with another queer person it wasn't obviously legal generally it wasn't accepted you know generally Mm -hmm. there's just so many things so it's like of course it's going to be a challenge now because now that we have the opportunity, hopefully, to engage mm-hmm. in all the different types of relationships we want and desire, how do you like? How do you bring those all together in a way that feels healthy for each person? It's I feel like it's a challenge. Right, certainly, and still, I mean, recognizing that even though we've made so much progress, that still so much of society is adverse mm-hmm. to our lifestyle, right? That's just a flat reality, at least in America, when you look at the demographics of voting for Trump. Uh, (laughs) I know, I I like to get optimistic. And then people were like, did you see the percentage that voted for him in the election? And I was like, shit. Oh my, I mean, I was at a wedding. um, Yeah. Probably like a few weeks ago. And the couple super sweet, like super, super lovely. But the people that were there, Mm -hmm. I don't know, my boyfriend and I were there and we we're singled out by so many people there as like making really awkward, uncomfortable comments about <sighs> our relationship specifically. And it was such an odd experience because I, I do think obviously, you know, I live in New York city and you know, I've been called faggot left, right and center. And that's not, right. you know, I'm used to that. Not that it's acceptable, but I'm used to it. But 
being at like a friend's wedding with people who you kind of assume are all like in the same page and then you like hear these comments or like people start like venting to you about how they like treated their gay cousin poorly once you know and like how that's affected them and it's like why are you like putting the trauma on me just because you see I'm with my boyfriend here right just trying to have a good time at a wedding yeah it was like a clear like reminder even if we've made all these strides we're still other and I think in some ways that's great because being other is I don't think the point or the purpose of being a queer person is to assimilate and become just like straight people. Like we should embrace what makes us different in general, but obviously we all just want to be respected and like, and loved. And so the immediate like singling us out just because it's like, Oh, you're two guys instead of a guy and a girl. It's like, okay, I thought we were past this. I thought we were getting over this, which obviously is a a huge place of privilege. And so that's also kind of part of that weird soup is knowing I've lived a wildly privileged life. And so this like this sensitivity is also a good reminder for myself. Right. And definitely, I mean, you've lived, we've all lived privileged lives to a million different degrees and different capacities. And it's like, that still doesn't change the fact that you're just trying to have a good time at a wedding. Yeah. Right? Like that's like you're just trying to exist and live your life and someone's over here dumping their trauma on you because they see you as the gay person, not you as the gay person to talk to and vent about all of their mistakes. Oh, that is exactly it. I've actually I've talked to my dad about this. There is an exhaustion of knowing that you are like the token anywhere of anything, obviously. Yeah. And I think this is I would say obviously the largest thing of this is race where it's very clear, right. you know, within the U S especially that there is just a wild amount of tokenism. And that is a like minority burden basically where um, the majority will never fully understand what it feels like to, to have that burden, but it's up to the majority to improve it. And so it's like this weird dichotomy where it's like, well, how do you get the majority to fix something that they're not really able to see or feel? And yeah. so I think I've talked to my dad about this because it's, you know, there's sometimes comments made, I think, towards, I'm sure, everybody where it's like, well, you know, you can't do that because you're the only type of person they're going to see who is that way. And so you have to, like, you know, be the ideal, you know, the the model minority of that in, that, in a way. And it's like, that's not fair to me. I'm a human being. No. I'm going to make mistakes. And sometimes mm-hmm. it's like, fuck it. I want to do what I'm going to do. And for you to, like pin me down in a crowd and be like, you're the token gay person here. And so I'm going to, you know, put all of my views of your gayness onto you. Right. And you just have to accept it in any space. It's just ridiculous, obviously. Mm. So that's what the wedding I think was in terms of, it's like exactly what you said. You are the one gay person here. So I'm going to take all of my feelings about that and now direct them at you. Right. Instead of seeing you fully. Mm-hmm. why were you talking to your dad about this specifically <laughs> um oh my gosh I mean I talked to my dad about a lot of this stuff because he's yeah. I will say he's fantastic when I first came out he was a bit rough and he is mm-hmm. like fully he is such a big ally such a sweetheart like just a big teddy bear and we were talking about it because sometimes he he makes comments my aunt is a lesbian and she You know, there were things that I I do think she, if she had the time of day, she would say to probably my dad's family in terms of the way that they 
treated her and her partner sometimes. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she's from a different generation and she's also just not one to like speak up in that way, nor should she have to be. And so sometimes my dad, I think because I will call people out, you know, if I'm at a family gathering and someone's being yeah. you know, homophobic, I'm going to be like, shut the fuck up, like back off. Or I'll like defend the way they speak about her because sometimes they make like crappy comments about her being lesbian and be like, well, she lived such a rough life. And it's like, okay, whoa, 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 whoa. Like, let's unpack this real quick. Her living a rough life is not the reason she's a lesbian. Please do not do this. And I think sometimes my dad probably wishes I would be a little bit more (laughs) tactful and quiet about it. Nope. And it's, I think what exactly I've like told him, I'm like, you know, I shouldn't have to change the way I'm feeling about this when I am doing nothing but existing. Like if they don't know other gay people and so they're putting all like, if I act badly one day, that's how all gay people act. It's like, then you need to diversify your friend group or who you're seeing. Like, it's not my job to be your one person you see. Yep. But it's, that's how I got there. No, I mean, that is super, super valid. And I think it, it breaks my heart knowing that this is your aunt, which me, I would imagine means there's some close relational ties depending on, you know, what what level those could be, but to have your father so and your family so close to an example and still not seem to understand the complexities of it. You know, like sometimes I want to give the people who really have never seen a gay person in their life just a little bit of grace that they've never been that close, but to be so close yeah, and to still not get it, you're just like, wow. Well, and it's, I think, and I'm sure you, you know, I don't, do you have any, uh, is there anyone in your family who came out before you, I guess? No. Ooh, okay. See, so that's where it's like, that's where you get the weird dichotomy where it's like, I'm, I'm so happy that my aunt in some ways like paved away yeah. for me, you know, but at the same time, it's complicated because then, yeah, I guess I'd be more likely to also look at my family and kind of point out how they're messing up still. Cause I'm like, well, you had an example and like, she's still here and I don't hear you asking her questions about what her experience has been as a human being. That's all they have to do. That's literally all they have to do is just talk to someone, learn, have a conversation. My sister, so um, we were, at least I was non-denominational growing up. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. And then my sister converted to Mormonism was in college yeah okay we have something in common okay do you have a sister that's mormon or the jehovah witness piece um so my dad's whole family is mormon and then my <gasps> mom is jehovah's witness yeah so anyways i'm obsessed oh my Keep god going. okay 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 um <laughs> so yeah i hadn't seen her since she had gone on her mission and been baptized and all this stuff because of, i was in school and she was on a different side of the world kind of life situations and then she came to visit me and i asked her before she came to visit me i was like hey like have you ever talked to a gay person before she said no oh i mean me obviously but like other yeah. than that none I mean, that in like in 2021, to me, that blows my mind because yes. I, I don't fully understand. But also at the same time, I feel like it makes sense. A lot of people, you know, you tend to be friends with people who are very similar to you. Yeah. And I mean, Mormonism is a huge example of an instance where there's not really even an ability to be friends with people who are different than you generally. So it's it doesn't surprise me in that way, but it's just, you know, it's the 21st century. I feel like. Yeah. Also we're young. I mean, is your sister, she's younger than you or is she? Oh, yeah. She's younger. She's three years younger than me. 
So it's like, you're also younger. So you're like, how do you, how do you not talk to a gay person? Yeah, dude. Isn't that wild? It's funny though. When she came to Chicago, I did take her to a house full of polyamorous queers and we all had a barbecue. And afterwards she's like, are you going to start growing out your armpit hair? I was just like. Wait, but how was she in that environment? Was she like, okay? Yeah, she, I think she, well, so here's the thing is my sister's always been shy, like always been shy consistently across the board, regardless of what situation she was in. And like, she didn't get a choice because she was visiting me and I was like, we're going. And so she, she was fine, but she behaved as per usual. And obviously all the queer people are super sweet and like asked her questions and chatted with her. So I think she had a good time. Um, Yeah, I hope. Right. Exactly. But it's just fascinating. And on the way back, we started talking about like non-binary identities and she had questions and I was like, yes, like questions. Good. Yeah. We're starting something. I know. I know. I mean, I fully, I feel like that is the, the biggest challenge or the biggest hump to get over is always just getting them to allow themselves to ask questions. It's like demystify it. And it's not that crazy. We're all Mm -hmm. normal. We're human beings. Nothing is like that crazy, that wild. And let me tell you, there is something so special and so unique about the queer community because mm-hmm. we all put love for one another and for our community and for each other generally first. And we want to just show kindness to people. And it's, yeah. it's like, just let us do it. Like be, be around us and ask questions. We're not generally going to be really upset if you ask questions, right. but we will be upset if you are an asshole. So it's like, yeah. just, you know, hope that sounds amazing that she had that experience though i know she had never heard of intersex people at all and so that was enough just to like when we were talking about non-binary genders i was like well you know what does this mean in your world if if this is in existence and she's like huh and i was like yep that's all and i just kind of let her sit in silence and google on her phone education it's like i and the biggest proponent for making sure that our public education is as expansive and yeah. formative as possible, because most people, you can't leave it to the family to decide things because it's not going to, you know, like there's, there's not a guarantee that this person is going to get the information they need to honestly just like make it and survive. But to add to it, if we, if more people knew about inter- the intersex community, mm-hmm. if more people understood that some people are asexual, if people understood yeah. The fact that, you know, the idea of, of a binary gender spectrum is, is honestly fairly new in human history and yep. also is a huge part of being, you know, colonialism and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Then maybe it, people will understand, oh, there's just gray area in life. Yeah. And maybe that gray area is, doesn't need to be demonized because I mm-hmm. feel like, you know, if you ask a lot of people, about gender and or about being trans and a lot of people's response is either you know they've never really thought about it they've never talked to a trans person or to a Mm. non-binary person and then you mentioned hey well just fyi like these things have always existed in nature that it's not some new thing no one made it up it's not like the liberal media Mm -hmm. let me tell you and so it's like so how are you gonna mend or coexist in a world where now you understand that has existed before people even learn to hate it yeah and that now you have with that information, what are you going to do with it? And I feel like I would like to imagine that that would change a lot of the issues that we have as a nation and yeah. a world. Yes, I would completely agree that if we could change the educational framework that has been dominated by the patriarchal society for years of what's being taught in classrooms, we would have a completely different experience of – because, I mean, ultimately that edu- education is exactly what shapes our concept of reality. 
So yeah, it's impossible to pull away the two. And I think that's why it's so dangerous doing, well, dangerous, yes, uh, going through a Christian education, which is even like a step further into a the dark ages yes no it is um (laughs) i am such a proponent or i guess i'm absolutely not a proponent of any sort of like religious school especially christianity it is such a anything based or that inherently values tradition over human beings i think it's just going to be a problem Say it again. I mean, right? Like that's all that that is literally a great summary sentence of what Christianity is at its worst, you know? Oh, absolutely. And it's I think I mean, we could even tie it into I'll throw it I'll tie it on back to like the gay villain thing. The the shirt I made those shirts, I designed them because I felt like there's this like weird idea or messaging that we all grew up with, or at least, you know, Christian kids grew up with, where it's, you know, good versus evil there's a hero and a villain there is like no room for an in-between and also there's no room for like good people to make mistakes and for bad people to have moments of being good you know like it was just everything is so binary everything is black and white and i think the gay villain shirt was really fun just playing with the idea of like being a gay villain and this concept of we don't have many stories basically is how i'll phrase it the queer community doesn't have many stories that have been shared a mm-hmm. lot of our stories, you know, died off with a whole generation of people who were who died from HIV AIDS because right. of government negligence and because of a whole swath of, of the United States ignoring them. Mm-hmm. And then to add to it, for most years, it was illegal to share stories of, you know, queer love or queer life or just queer existence. And so we have pretty large gaps, I think, in our history because of this. And what you kind of lose with that is like the allow allowing nuance and allowing like variety of character. And so you always get, it's like, if you're going to show a movie about gay people, they have to be good. They have to be like our idea of a good gay person because we don't have the variety of movies or the variety of stories yet to quite like mm. allow for like a shitty gay person, you know, like it, yeah. it would go down poorly because not enough people even see these people. And Mm -hmm. so the idea of like a gay villain to me, I'm like, it's campy, it's fun. Yeah. But it's also, it's like, yeah, I like being gay doesn't remove my ability to be an asshole sometimes. Just like being gay doesn't make me not a nice person either. Like it's not related to that at all, you know? Right. And so it's like this playful way in my mind, at least of being like, yeah, I'm a gay villain. I'm gonna like mess it up. I'm gonna absolutely like lean into the campiness of like you guys thinking being gay is some bad thing over history. And it's like, yeah, that's like, I'm gonna take it back and just say, like, make it playful, make it fun. Exactly. Yeah, it sounds like a very playful way to reclaim power that has been lost by the way that queers have been subjected throughout history. Yeah, I mean, growing up, between you and me and you know the gay villain shirt is not a serious thing i mean the the fun the fact that all the funds went to the national trans black coalition the yeah. covid19 fund was really great and it, the the portions of from the shirt maker went to black lives matter and so it like the the message funded something really important and really vital but i think the like message itself was just fun and cheeky but it does like what makes me always think about those things is the growing up in a Christian, you know, home yeah. and a Christian church and a Christian school and always kind of having gay people villainized mm. and instead just being like, cool. Like, I think gay villains are awesome. Have you not seen, you know, it's it's like Miranda Priestley and Devil Wears Prada, basically, in my yeah. mind. I'm like, 
she is a fun woman who is doing whatever she wants. And, you know, she has good sides and bad sides and it's mm-hmm. campy as hell, but it's like really funny and playful. And it's like, that was just my way of taking on the idea of like, we are, whatever we are, like, let's just make it fun. Let's make it light. Yes. Let's enjoy it. Yes. And I love that idea. Thank you. Are you proud? How do you feel when you talk about it? Um, Honestly, and I'm sure when I listen back to this, I'll probably have a thousand notes for myself because <laughs> I don't talk about it much. I, mm. I'm i not like a huge self-promoter in the sense of like talking about things. I'd rather, yeah. I, it's just like, I feel like it's a little embarrassing and I'm sure listening to this, I'll probably feel embarrassed about half the oh things that I like say. Um, Jordan. But it is, I mean, I'm proud of it for sure. Yeah. I think I tend to like, err on the side of being way too self-serious in general, Mm. like throughout my life. And so it's really fun that like something that I just was playing around with and that had a message and a purpose that I wanted, but is not some heavy, like quote unquote, like serious thing. Right. Right. You know, it's literally a smiley face with like evil eyes. Like Mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's just a playful thing. It's supposed to be fun and cheeky. And like, so I, I enjoy the fact that somehow that came out of me because that just feels like a it feels like it's something that I haven't been able to do very often because usually mm-hmm. I'm like overly serious and so it was a nice yeah. way to like play with that fun side of myself that I feel like I am in person like I'm a pretty bubbly human being overall um yeah. but when it comes to like writing about things or even like social media like everything just comes off too overly serious and self-serious so it, it's it's been nice and seeing people like enjoy it and like take photos of themselves yeah. and play with it and like really embrace the idea of like being a gay villain I think is I mean I never thought that would happen so it's, it's just been really like cute and fun yeah and to see the way that people are incorporating your ideas your mm-hmm. concept into their own concept of self is very oh, powerful crazy. oh my gosh I did not even think of that I mean yeah look, think about what you just said it is it is more yeah. of a playful reclaiming of the power that has been stripped away from queer identities for history so yeah, yeah you've created from something that is very personal to you a tangible idea for people to embody and I love that and I hope you can feel proud of that yeah wow um I think you know I I'm definitely proud of it and it sounds so cool as I've said like yeah it sounds really cool when you say it so I appreciate it <laughs> um I mean there are so many important voices and important just like people honestly within the queer community and it's what I I'm not a huge fan of social media but I am a really big fan of the fact that it really has brought a lot just more voices into my like circle yeah, and my understanding certainly. and you know I've gotten to meet a lot more queer artists around the world and hear just about more queer lives than I ever probably would have. But it's definitely just been fun how like, it's clear that people understood it immediately. And to feel understood, I would say is probably the best feeling. It's like less about them turning into something for themselves. And I think more of just like, oh, it's not it wasn't like some like weird thing in my head or like, people obviously also feel this way where they're like, they enjoy the playfulness around it, which is it's just nice. Right. And so much of our experience, you can't put into words, right? Like Mm -hmm. so much of what you've expressed there is, I mean, we're trying now in this conversation, right? But that idea in and of itself is expressed through art. And art often can tap into those things that we can't find the words for. And then to feel that untangible energy that you had to put into an idea and a concept like that resonate with other people, that is the most community 
thing you could ever find to not feel alone in this world knowing that people have that same intangible I don't even know words you know what I mean yeah it's yeah. like their own <sighs> it's kind of like the shirt reminds me a little bit of like Halloween I guess where it's like you can kind of put on this costume and it makes you feel like a little bit more oh, invincible yeah. as a human being oh, yes and I think that shirt is probably that's why I, like in a selfish way made it for me was because it's like I feel cool when I'm wearing it and I feel cool about myself because it's like no one's gonna like fuck with me on the street when I'm wearing it you know what I mean like yeah. no one's gonna like drive by and call me faggot like I'll flip you off and be like fuck you back you know like mm-hmm. I I'm embodying who I like this character and who I who I want to be so I think for me it was probably more aspirational in that sense and so it's just nice and the whole definition on the back of the shirt is about like queer people being their most authentic selves whatever that means to you Hell and yeah. so I think that's probably the biggest part for me that I like is the idea that it really boils down to just like not going with what the system wants not like you know, sometimes it'll overlap, sure, and sometimes it won't. And instead of, like, beating yourself up about it or thinking that you're weird or wrong because, it, you know, the government or the world or culture or religion tells you something, it's like, it's like no, I'm just going to, like, I like this and I want this, and so I'm going to, and as long as, obviously, it's consensual and, like, kind and everything, like, yeah. I'm going to I'm gonna go for it. I'm going to be that person. And Ugh. that's, like, the one thing everyone in this entire world wants we all just want to be whatever version of ourselves we want to be and so to like have the bravery and the courage to do so I think is something that everybody you know can strive for right wow you're giving me the chills I mean yeah and I mean your journey is so beautiful right I'm I'm serious. I mean, talking all the way back from figuring out, you know, in that class, that cornerstone, that dropping feeling to how you just express yourself now. <laughs> oh, thank you. Right? I mean, that journey is so beautiful. And I'm just so happy to have you here and to see you beaming and resonating with so many things that you're saying here. It's been so lovely. Oh, thank you so much. It's been so yeah. lovely. You are so <laughs> – it's like hard to explain – you are so intelligent, but also so um, like eloquent with your words. And so it's really, it's like nice to chat with you. And obviously the circumstances are a little weird because I know I'm being recorded in this instance. Yeah, and yeah. so obviously it's like, I'm overthinking everything I say, but oh, yeah. um, it's, it's obviously impressive. I think, you know, as people who went to the same schools and like, yeah. you know, grew up in at least a similar environment anytime that people are able to like make it out of that and have free thought and be able to like exist as human beings who just Mm. love people and love themselves that's a victory so congrats to you thank you I think you might resonate then in a lot of ways that's why I created the podcast I mean you asked that question earlier of like how do you change the majority I think the power is in conversation and I think frequently if people aren't getting to have these conversations on their own maybe they can listen to one right yeah, no, absolutely. And also, yeah. I mean, I love listening to podcasts. I feel like and it's a similar reason why I think I had started Warm Bros forever ago is it's exactly it's the idea that it's like, this is for the people who are talking in many ways, but it is also for people to like, safely, I guess, jump in and kind of yeah. hear other points of views and be able mm-hmm. to like, maybe learn something or take something away that helps make people safer. Honestly, at the end of the day, like, if you can spread a message that helps people be less afraid of people that are different than the, than who they are, like that's going to make the world a better, safer place and mean that more people can be their authentic selves, which is yes. great. Yes. Yes. Let's both sit and 
the shared joy that we have made it out of this. (laughs) I know. (laughs) I I do think we have such powerful things because of our relationships with the people we have that are religious in that way and that desire to open up and pull people into this space. Um, I think that is part of what our shared trauma is with our family backgrounds and what beautiful gifts it can be. And oh, so I think you're, yeah. you're pulling that out. And so, yes, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. I do have one question to ask you that I ask everybody on the show is my closing question. I know. And we have okay. every time I do these episodes, I talk about a lot of different things, but the one question is what is one thing that you wish other people knew was more normal? You know, I think I wish people knew that, questioning yourself or kind of feeling like there is so much about yourself that you you could be surprised by or that you don't know I wish people knew that that was really normal there's not really a moment in my experience where you just like wake up one day and you're like oh I feel like I responded exactly how I knew I would re- would respond to that right. like I definitely especially being in a relationship I've realized that sometimes like I'll respond to something in a way that I never thought I would respond in that way to it And it's just like, oh, well, now I'm being surprised by myself and by, you know, the ways that I can still surprise my own, like, person. So I think just always being, like, it's normal to be surprised by yourself and by others. And so, like, bask in it, live in it. Right. And I mean, change is inevitable, right? We're never the same person. So like you, as you were saying that, I was thinking, of course, it's going to change every moment to moment, because even this conversation has changed us, right? Stepping into this moment afterwards, we're not going to be the same, whatever. So you can change and it's constantly evolving. So yeah. Yeah, I think normalizing that and not beating ourselves up for being inconsistent at times would allow us to relax a lot more and just breathe and enjoy our lives, you know? Truly. And I feel like social media especially flattens us so spectacularly. And so I think that's something I've struggled with. And I I would (laughs) say that's where it comes from. It's like, listen, like you can learn and evolve as a human being and change. And like, that is so completely normal. And not only is it normal, it's what should be happening. So allow yourself to be different than you were five minutes ago, than you were two hours ago, than you were, you know, two years ago, like allow that to happen. Right. Because if you hold on to the dead stuff, you'll frequently stay in a less evolved state. I mean, part of becoming more conscious of some of these larger issues that we've discussed is letting go of that old self and recognizing that. And when you fall back and go back and yeah, I mean, this is the epitome of life here. So you tied it up with a nice bow. I know. Thank you so much. Is there somewhere that people can find your shirt or any of your, yeah, where do you want to plug? I was going to say, um, I mean, honestly, just, Find me online on Instagram, and that's where I'll plug wherever anything is right now. The shirts are on hold. I'm just kind of holding them until I find, like, a new printer. I want to make sure the printer I use is, you know, it's just, a like, an upstanding company in business. And For so sure. it's on hold, but I would say just find me on Instagram, Thorn Parvex. And I'm always kind of pushing and finding out new ways to kind of help people and, uh, you know, chat about and bring things, you know, up in conversation. So... Hopefully my shirts will come back. Fingers crossed. Yeah, I want one. <laughs> yeah. I know. I need – and I really – I want to find a way to make it more eco-friendly. And so if it's, you know, recycling old shirts with the screen print on top of mm, it or something, yeah, you know, a like idea. a way to recontextualize things is kind of what I'm looking for. Definitely. Definitely. Well, yeah, keep me posted. I definitely will. All right. Well, yeah, thank you so much. Hey, thank you so much. I really did. If you enjoyed today's conversation, then subscribe for new episodes released every Wednesday and follow us on Instagram at Modern Anarchy Podcast, where we open up a dialogue about all of these topics. 
Otherwise, I'll see you next week. And a special thanks to one of my favorite artists, Your Smith, for the intro and outro song to this show.